All right, let's get to um, Acts 8. So uh, for those of you who are just jumping in, uh, we have uh, come to a point in the, the, the story of the church where uh, the first martyr, Stephen, uh, was killed. And when he was killed, that set off a chain of events where the, the church was persecuted, very overtly and violently persecuted. Uh, that drove the Christians out to the surrounding areas. That was called the Great Dispersion. So you have the Great Persecution. Then you have the Great Dispersion. And what we see from there is not that the church stopped growing, but it actually grew more, that it increased. We have the great evangelization of the region, right? Philip, the evangelist, begins to take the gospel out to the surrounding regions. Last week, we saw that Philip took the gospel to Samaria. Now, if you'll think way back to the beginning of Acts, what is the, the sort of organizing uh, verse in Acts? It's Acts 1.8, where he tells the disciples, you, be my, you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And see what, see, see what Luke has done here in the narrative is he has showed us how the gospel has gone from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and now we're to the point where we're going to see the gospel begin to go to the ends of the earth through this story, the evangelism and conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. So this morning we're going to look at evangelism from Acts 8, 26 through 40. Uh, please read along with me as I read. Hear the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth In his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told them that him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not God's word. It stands forever. Let's listen to it. Um, St. Augustine was one of uh, the early church fathers that's, that's very famous and still very impactful. 
in the church, his writings and his teachings. Uh, well, uh, as he was a young boy, uh, he was not on the trajectory to become a great thinker and a great pastor. Uh, as he was a young man, he was very much a partier. He lived for a good time. Um, but God was at work in his life and did some pretty incredible things. God turned him from a partier into a scholar. <laughs> he moved to, uh, he was from Northern Africa and he moved to um, Carthage and to Milan and to places where he could study and learn. So he became a great scholar and then he turned into a great philosopher. Uh, but in all of his studying, he found that life was still empty and meaningless. And so then he turned into a religious seeker. He went down a path of trying uh, to find God and trying to have his life changed. Uh, well, one day he was in the garden uh, and he was reading the Bible and he got up and he started walking around and he heard in the distance a child singing, take up and read, take up and read, take up and read. And he sat back down to the Bible that he was reading and it was on uh, the book of Romans and he came to a passage where Paul, uh, in Romans 13, says to arm yourselves with Christ and think not of earthly appetites. In that moment, something changed in him. He says this, No further would I read, nor needed I, for instantly at the end of this sentence, by a light, as it were, of serenity infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. In that moment, he was converted. <laughs> right. God converted him through, in part, children singing, take up and read, take up and read. You have very much this unexpected conversion that was brought on in an unexpected place for an unexpected person in an unexpected way. But God was the one who was at work. And God had been at work bringing St. Augustine conversion long before that. Now, because, uh, as church history shows us in the Bible, the Ethiopian eunuch that we just read about uh, was the first Christian convert to the area of northern Africa, where, where St. Augustine was from. And so God was at work in this Ethiopian eunuch, and then he went to work in St. Augustine's life, and then he went to work all over the world to the ends of the earth. That's how evangelism takes place. God is at work converting people from death to life through the church. So let me ask you this. When you think about evangelism, what do you think of? What are, what are the thoughts and feelings and stories that come to mind? Um, I, I think in my experience, a lot of people feel um, shame over evangelism. They feel like they should be evangelizing more, but they're not. Uh, they feel guilt about evangelism that maybe they don't want to evangelize. Or they feel fear about it. They're, they're, they're afraid. What, what, what will I say? Will I be rejected? Will I be any good at evangelism? Right? And I think one of the common themes you see in all those thoughts and feelings there is that they're all focused on us and what we do. Right? And it's our focusing on us and evangelism that brings shame and guilt and fear and apathy and cynicism. 
Well, what I want you to see this morning as we study this passage, right, is that God is the one who's at work in evangelism. God is at work converting others through us. And he does that in some really unexpected ways. So we're going to see this morning that God works in unexpected places. God works in unexpected people. And God works in unexpected ways to bring people from death to life through us. Kids, as you're listening today and you're, and you're thinking and processing, maybe think about some people that you would hope would become Christians that you could share the gospel with. And, and when you leave, maybe talk to your parents about what would it look like for you to pray for them, to talk to them, right, to evangelize them. So let's look at this together. First thing we see in this passage is that God works in unexpected places. So an angel comes to Philip and tells him to go down this road that connects from Jerusalem, which is the Jewish city, a Jewish power city, a religious hub, to Gaza. And Gaza would have been to the south and west down by the sea, and it was a major city of the Philistines. If you've read your Old Testament, the name Philistines comes up a lot. Who were the Philistines? The enemies of the Jews, right? David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, an uncircumcised Philistine. So already, you know, alarm bells have got to be going off thinking, man, God is up to something. He's sending Philip down the road towards the Philistines. So he gets on this road. He's moving to the, down this road. And this road also continues down to Egypt, which is the home of this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the text also tells us that this is a desert place. I think it's interesting, right? Anytime that the, the Bible throws in a little word like that, desert place, that should tip you off, again, that the Holy Spirit is saying something important here, right? That is, you don't have to know that fact to know this story, right? But God is telling you something. Uh, he's telling you something special, He's doing something special. So geographically speaking, the desert would not be the place where you'd be thinking about doing evangelism, right? If you were thinking about doing evangelism, where would you go? You'd go to this city where the people are. Well, the Holy Spirit tells Phil the exact opposite thing. He says, I want you to go to the desert. I want you to go to Gaza. I want you to go down towards the Philistines, Right? This, this is a very, for, for, for Jews who thought that the gospel was for, specifically for the Jews in Jerusalem, this would have been a very unexpected thing, right? But if you go to the Old Testament, you see there's all these little hints of what God was doing that eventually the gospel was going to go out to the nations. In Psalm 68, it tells us that the, God, that the gospel is going to go to the Philistines and to Egypt. And in Psalm 87, it talks about the gospel going out to the nations. God's kingdom is expanding. It's moving out from Jerusalem and from Judea to the ends of the earth. So it's driving Philip into an unexpected place. And what we know now is that God is still at work in unexpected places. Right? Geographically speaking... Christianity has spread all over the world. And and that makes it very unique from all other world religions. Uh, One researcher says this, 96% of all Muslims live in the Middle East, Africa, and South Asia. 
88% of all Buddhists live in East Asia, and 98% of all Hindus live in India or South Asia. So their, their religion is still concentrated primarily in where it began. But listen to the numbers for Christianity. 25% of all Christians live in Central South America and the Caribbean. 25%. 22% live in Africa. 15% and growing live in Asia. 20% live in Europe. And 12% live in North America. That's the smallest percentage. Christianity started in the Middle East, but it went out from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It spread all over the globe into all these unexpected places. How? Through the work of the church, through the work of Christians. God has brought people from death to life all over the world. God is still at work in unexpected places. They can be overseas, but it can be local and ordinary. Let me ask you this. Where have you seen God at work in very local and ordinary places? Maybe it's at the coffee shop, at the gym, at your work. Maybe it's at your home, at the table while you're homeschooling. <laughs> God is at work in those unexpected places. Um, this reminded me of a, of a student who uh, came to RUF. His name was Shuvi Shuverdeb. Shuverdeb was from India, and he was a Buddhist. He came to America to study uh, engineering at Oklahoma State, uh, but he was very much sort of a religious seeker when he came to America. He was open to new ideas and new ways of living. He found Buddhism to be intellectually unsatisfying. Well, one day, one of our students, this is, this is going to sound like preacher hyperbole made up. It is not. One of our students was deadlifting at the rec center. Levi. And Levi was a, a football player. He's a strong guy, so he's deadlifting lots of weight. He wouldn't have came up, Shuvi wouldn't have done this to me because I don't deadlift a lot of weight. But he came up to Levi and he said, wow, how are you deadlifting so much weight? And so Levi started talking to Shuvadev about deadlifting, right? If you don't know what deadlifting is, ask Charlie. Okay, he can explain it to you. So they struck up a conversation. They got to know each other. Levi told Shuvadev about RUF, which was our campus ministry. Shuverdev came to RUF, began coming to our Bible studies. He also began to go on lots of other Bible studies all over campus. He was very much a religious seeker, right? But by the end of that semester, Shuverdev made a profession of faith in Christ and was baptized and became a Christian. God was at work in the Colvin Center on a deadlift platform, right? God is at work in unexpected places. He's also at work in desert places. A desert place can be a spiritual condition. Think about a desert. A desert is a place that's lifeless, where there's no life, where it's barren. Where are the desert places in our culture where there is lifelessness? Alcoholism is a desert place. God can work in the desert of alcoholism to bring satisfaction to alcoholics in ways that alcohol won't. Anxiety is a desert place. God can work in the desert of anxiety to show that he is the great provider, that that your daily bread can come for him. Depression is a desert place. God can work in the desert of depression to shine light in the darkness. Loneliness is a desert place. 
God can work in the desert of loneliness to show that he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Divorce is a desert place. God alone can work in the desert of divorce to show that he is a true and faithful spouse. God can work in all desert places, calling people to himself and giving them life. Um, This uh, reminded me of uh, a famous Christian named Chuck Colson. Uh, Chuck Colson was a successful politician. Uh, He rose to success during the Nixon era. He was uh, involved in Watergate, and then he was sort of the fall guy for the Watergate uh, scandal. Uh, so he, he, he ascends the political ladder, he becomes a political star, and then because of Watergate, he, he crashes to the bottom, he's sent to prison. Once he gets out of prison, he's got to start his life and his career all over again. Uh, well, he felt this failure, this emptiness, and then he started working for a man named Tom Phillips, who was a CEO, uh, and, and Tom, start, Tom became a Christian through Billy Graham Crusades, and Tom started sharing the gospel with Chuck Colson, and Tom told him how uh, business and work had left him empty, but the gospel had satisfied him. And Tom prayed with Chuck Colson, and that day uh, Chuck left. He, he drove away, and as he, as he drove off, he felt uh, the emptiness, uh, the shame, the guilt of his life. Um, so he pulled over on the side of the road, and in tears he cried, and he asked God to make him clean. And he gave his life to Christ there in his car on the side of the road at the bottom of his career. And the Lord converted him. And then he began prison fellowship ministry, which shared the gospel with countless numbers of inmates who believed the gospel. God was at work converting people from death to life through him. If God is at work in these unexpected places... then we can be a part of what he's doing in this world. No matter where you go, whether you're at the office or at home or in the car or at the gym, wherever, stop, look, listen, ask yourself, where is God at work and how can I be a part of that? The first thing we see is that God is at work in unexpected places. And the the next thing we see is that God is at work in unexpected people. So you have this Ethiopian eunuch, right? We don't talk about Ethiopian eunuchs a lot. So let me tell you, this guy was an outsider in every way. In every way, he was an outsider. He was a cultural outsider, right? If he, you know, you had two, the two major, you know, groups in this area were Jews, right? Who were, were, were God's people, the Israelites, right? You had Jews and you had Gentiles. He would have been a Gentile or he would have been maybe a dispersed Jew. But either way, he was definitely some sort of cultural outsider, He was also probably a racial outsider. Being from North Africa, his skin tone was probably blacker than those from the Middle East. He was probably a social outsider, okay? So if you're a eunuch, you are physically or vocationally unable to have children. He would have had no wife and no kids, right? Which was very, very taboo during their day, right? So he was a social outsider. He was an economic outsider, He was a treasurer for the queen. That made him rich. He's got an Isaiah scroll, right? You know, Bibles during that time were not like they are now where everybody can get one. They're all over the place. They were very, very special. 
There weren't a lot of them, so he had to be really wealthy to have a scroll at that time. He also had a chariot, right? It wasn't like a car. If you were riding around on a chariot, it was a big deal. Most people would have been walking or maybe riding a donkey or something like that. So he's an economic outsider. He's also a religious outsider, right? So he's coming from Egypt to go to Jerusalem. But because he's an Ethiopian eunuch, when he got to Jerusalem, guess what? He would not have been allowed to go into the, the, the deepest parts of the temple because the Old, the Old Testament ritual said that eunuchs and Gentiles could not go past a certain area. So he was a cultural, racial, social, economic, and religious outsider that God converts from death to life. And through him, the gospel just expanded all over Northern Africa. If you look at the early church, it, it grew tremendously in Northern Africa, and some of the best theology from the early church came out of Northern Africa. Uh, theologians such as Origen, Tertullian, Athanasius, St. Augustine, all came out of North Africa because this outsider was converted. God was at work in a very, very unexpected person. And the Apostle Paul tells us that that's the way God works. He says that God gives life to all different types of people. Paul says, For consider your calling, brethren, that you were, there are not many who are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. God is at work in the rich and the poor, in the Jew and the Greek, in the slave and the free. He's at work in all these different types of people all across the world. So we have to ask ourselves, who are the, who are the untouchables in our life? Who are the people that we would never expect God to work in? Is it um, someone who is less intelligent than you? Someone who is less educated than you? Is it, uh, you know, someone who is a different political party? Is it the Democrat or is it the Republican or is it the Libertarian? Right? Is it someone from another country, someone of another ethnicity, someone of another religion? Right? Is it the young or the old? Who are the people that we would look at and think, can God really work in their life? Can God really do something here? There is nobody that we can look at and say that because our God is powerful enough to work in the lives of anyone. He takes unexpected people and brings them from death to life. Uh, I heard a story at RUF staff training that illustrated this well a few years ago. Uh, there was a church in California called Hope. It was Hope, California. Uh, and they had a young lady in their congregation who got pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, she came to the elders. She confessed her sin. She repented. Um, she said she was sorry uh, that she wanted to, to live a godly life and she wanted to keep this baby. And the elders were, were so delighted and pleased with her repentance. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't do any church discipline, uh, but they knew there was going to be a lot of questions in the congregation like this was not something they were going to be able to hide. Uh, so they decided that they would have to talk to the congregation about it. So one Sunday, they, they told the congregation, 
hey, this is what happened. Um, we, she came, she met with us. We're, we're, uh, we're so thankful and delighted that, that she has shown this repentance. We want to love her. We want to serve her and this baby. We want to care for her. So after the, after the service, they all gathered around this girl. They hugged her. They prayed for her. They loved her well. What they didn't know was that there was a young lady in the congregation that morning who was a non-Christian who had also gotten pregnant out of wedlock. She was thinking about having an abortion. But she decided, I'm going to give Jesus and the church a try. She just so happened to be at the worship service that morning, and she saw the way that the church rallied around that other girl and loved her. And she ended up becoming a Christian through that church and keeping her baby. God was at work in a, in a repentant, unwed mother, and he used it to bring other people to Christ. There's nobody who's untouchable. There's nobody that God can't reach with the gospel. There's nobody that he can't take from death to life. God works in unexpected people. He works in unexpected places. And lastly, he works in unexpected ways. So Philip, I love that the text tells us Philip ran to the chariot. Like, isn't that funny? Like, I really wish I could see that. Like, Philip, like, hoisting up his clothes and running up there. But he runs up to the chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch is sitting there. He's reading. Uh, he's, they had this really interesting conversation, Ron. He's like, hey, do you, imagine, like, him running. Hey, do you know what you're reading? No, how can I read unless someone guides me? Good. Well, come on up here. Let me, let me, let me explain that to you. Like, that's, a, that's a funny conversation. Like, imagine me running down like the road, tracing down cars right out here. Right? Like, hey, Spirit told me to come and talk to you about Jesus. I, you know, that's what's happening. But God was at work. And God was at work in three very unexpected ways. First, God was at work in reading Scripture. Isn't this incredible that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Scripture and Philip sat down to read with him? Right? We, we've got all this modern technology and we've got modern ways of doing things. But it's incredible that God seems to love to work through the, the ordinary, simple, uh, maybe sometimes boring, challenging, uh, out-of-date activity of just reading Scripture. Right? God is at work in just the reading of Scripture with people. Uh, I once heard a British pastor uh, come and talk to us about evangelism. And, and we, were, we were talking, he was telling us all about how they did evangelism in Britain. And he said, it's really, really simple. We go to coffee shops and we sit and we talk to people. And then if they're interested, we sit and we read the Bible with them. And it's through the reading of the Bible that we're seeing people come to Christ. Right? Evangelism is very, very simple develop relationships with people and sit with them and read the scriptures. And if you don't know how to do that, as a challenge for you, then find a guide. That's the next thing we see is that God was at work through a teacher, right? Now, I feel like there's kind of two extremes in this. We can think, I don't really need a teacher. It's just me and my Bible, right? I'm just going to do it alone. I'm going to read my Bible by myself. Or you have people who everyone is a teacher, Right? There's teachers all over the internet. Uh, there, there's, teacher, there's all kinds of books. There's all kinds of teachers. They're everywhere. Right? There's one extreme or the other. Um, 
I think what we need to do is we need to, we, we certainly need teachers. We need guides. But we need to also think critically about our teachers. They're all false, there are false teachers out there. That's just reality. There are false teachings out there. We need to be on guard. We need to be, be aware of those things that are these cultural wolves that are in our society and that can creep into our churches. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, our, our pastors and our elders, me and Steve and Daniel and Mike, we want to help you identify those. We want to be your guides. This is going to sound a little self-serving, but we do want to be your guides. We do want to be your teachers. We want to sit and read scripture with you, Right? We want to help you discern uh, God's will in your life. And we want to help you do evangelism. So please, call us. Let us know. Let's read scripture together. Let's study. If you find something on the internet that you're curious about, let's sit and let's talk about it. Right? We all need guides. I need a guide. (laughs) I have a coach. I have a counselor. I listen to Mike and Daniel. I listen to Steve. I have to ask Steve questions every week. Steve, what would you do? Right? Basically, Steve has a job to help me right? We all need guides, and God is at work in guides. Uh, this week, I got to be a guide for a, a lady at the church, not the church, at the gym. She was, she's a Muslim. She was talking about her Muslim faith, and I got to tell her things about Christianity that she never knew. Her mind was blown. I, I wish I had time to tell you this whole 10-minute conversation we had about the gospel. It was incredible, but God is at work in scripture, and God is at work in teachers, and God is at work in an unexpected gospel. Look at the passage that he's reading. It talks about this innocent sheep that was silenced, humiliated, and slaughtered unjustly. And then we get, I, love, I would love to know the, how Philip like connected that to the Old Testament. But I'm, I'm betting he said, maybe said something about John, the first time John saw Jesus, and John looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I I bet he said something about God, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. And I bet he said something about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And then I bet he said something about Jesus dying on the cross and how Jesus was the shepherd and he was the sheep and he came to take away the sins of the world of all peoples, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm just guessing the Ethiopian eunuch said, why? Like, why would the shepherd become a sheep and the shepherd be slaughtered? And I'm guessing that, uh, that maybe Philip pointed him to Isaiah 53, 6, that says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The good news of the gospel is that we've all gone our own way. But God took our sin and placed it on Jesus, and he died for us so that alcoholics and perfectionists and self-righteous people, sinners and sufferers of all countries, of all classes, of all races, could be saved. That's the gospel. An unexpected gospel. Jesus came from unexpected places. He was an unexpected person. And he came in an unexpected way to save us from sin. So God uses unexpected, he uses a reading of scripture. He uses teachers. He uses the unexpected gospel 
he uses all that still to bring people from death to life. That's how he does evangelism. And he does it through us. So let me ask you now, do you, do you still feel uh, this sense of guilt or shame or fear about evangelism? Are you afraid? Well, if you are, uh, take heart. Right? When we look at this story, the temptation is to always look at this story and to think about ourselves as Philip sharing the gospel. But we need to think about ourselves as the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? That God was at work in our lives in unexpected places. He came to you not on your best day, but on your worst day. And he met you there. An unexpected person, not the most intelligent, not the most beautiful, not the most righteous or right, not because you were the right political party or the right skin color or anything else. He came to you because he loved you, a sinner. And he met you there in that place. And he rescued you in some unexpected way. He saved you. Right? He, came, he came to me in a desert place on a farm in Coweta, Oklahoma. <laughs> and he met, a, he met me as a wild and rebellious teenager. My dad's here. You can ask him. And he was at work in my greatest failure. I became a Christian in part through an absolute disaster of a teenager making the worst decisions possible. And it was in that moment of my greatest failure that God met me and redeemed me. And I think as we go back and we look at the story and we see it through the lens of us being the Ethiopian eunuch, that we will be freed from our shame and our guilt and our fear, that God will restore to us the joy of our salvation, and that we'll want to go out and share that with others. So let's pray that God would do that in our lives right now. Please pray with me.